Before we begin this week's episode of You Forgot One, a quick warning. The music in this episode contains explicit language. Well, hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One today on You Forgot One to Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Micaiah, maybe the greatest hip-hop album of the last 20 years. What do people need to know about To Pimp a Butterfly? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, And I also say, I mean, we talked about this on our Blonde episode, in competition for album of the decade. I mean, for me, it's this and Blonde, and there's really uh, no no doubts about that, like where this is in the albums of the the previous decade. Um, So it's... His second major label album, but also technically maybe his third album. But if you count all of his mixtapes, it's, I don't know, maybe his 10th album. I mean, he's, he is someone, uh, he, of course, being Kendrick Lamar, who has been writing since he was in high school. And because he's about my age, he's been coming up in the digital age, right? So he can, he had a MySpace and he's putting up songs and entire albums on myspace uh, as kdot long before to pimp a butterfly right like 10 years before that you know so he's someone who's been writing music and releasing music for a really long time so some people might call this his second album because it's his second major label uh debut um but this is someone who's been working and really developing his craft over a long period of time pretty publicly also um but it's kind of this trilogy of Good Kid, Mad City, To Pimp a Butterfly, and Damn that really stands out as making Kendrick one of these like potential all-time greatest rappers, right? It's something that like Public Enemy deal with from Yo Bum Rush the Show up to Fear of a Black Planet and Tribe with People's Instinct to Travels up to Midnight Marauders. And then Outcast probably put it at Equimini to love below or you could well, with, with them you can really you can move that a couple different ways as to where their their be, their best trilogy is as of you know like you said like the last 20 years i mean it's really no one else is really in this league yeah in terms sure. of in terms of an mc right drake is probably the greatest commercial rapper right but i i don't really see drake as being an mc a hit maker no question and I kind of think of Kanye the same way. I mean, you know, Kanye um, is great at producing hits and he's a, he's a great producer, but do we think of him as an MC like we do Rakim, Chuck D, Biggie and Pac, right? But Kendrick, right out the gate, you had people like Rakim and uh, several members of Run DMC being like, that guy is hip hop. That's the real deal. You know, everyone who he's been clearly inspired by has been like affirming that like this is hip hop today, right? Hip hop today, like is basically synonymous with Kendrick Lamar, you know, and then, and that's kind of been the story for about 10 years since, you know, good kid, Matt city. That was 10 years ago now, or about 10 years ago of when we were recording this. So for the last decade, um, yeah, it's really kind of been Kendrick or bust. And the centerpiece of that trilogy is to pimp a butterfly, which in my mind is easily his most impressive and ambitious album. Good Kid, Mad City is a tight 12 songs. 
Damn is a twat is a tight uh, 14 track album and this is a 16 track. I mean he's it's a big album. A lot of narrative strings which we know that he loves and it has a lot of different fusions of genre ranging from P-funk uh to G-funk um and just straight pure jazz. Not just like a hip hop beat over Ron Carter playing bass like on low in theory. I mean like straight up like hard bop jazz right and avant jazz on this record um he samples sufjan stevens on this record you know what i mean like i mean he there there is so much happening on here um that just makes it a very exciting listen um every time you go to put it on you know there, there's so much to discover and to love what's over you know these 16 tracks that's saying something yeah. yeah, I mean, in in you talk about critical reception. Th- this is an album that really, I, I would say, is, is universally beloved. But it's interesting, even thinking about t- you know what what we hear on this album. We do hear the G funk, we do hear the P funk, we hear straight jazz, we hear um, you know this kind of lyrical poetry that is happening. You know, kind of in these narrative bits. There's there's of course the big reveal that. Um, it is essentially a, an imagined interview with Tupac Shakur that, that's kind of taking place the whole time. Like you have all of this going on in the album and the only real critiques you ever hear of this album. And, and you know, it, it's it's not something you hear a lot, but in the original New York Times review of this album and in the original Guardian review of this album in England, both of the writers who wrote these reviews essentially talked about how it's a great album that is struggling under the clutter of the album, that there's, there's so much there. There's so many different things there. There's so many different styles of things there that it, it it feels sometimes like a cluttered or a busy album. Um, But most of the people who review this album just refer to it as dense and yeah. I don't think dense is is in and of itself a pejorative. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, right. But it, it is, an, I mean, 78, 78 minutes long, If I mean, a little over that. I mean, it is, it is a long album. It is an album that's got a whole lot of music on it. It's got an album that's got a whole lot of different music on it. But all of it is good. All of it is very, very good. And you see from, from the very beginning, almost as soon as it came out, almost every review you read says instant classic. A Spin Magazine, Dan Weiss of Spin Magazine in the original review said the album was the great American hip-hop album. Now, that's the, that's the introductory review for this album in Spin Magazine. It is the great American hip-hop album. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's basically like saying it's the Moby Dick of hip-hop. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it, it's that epic. It's that enormous. It's that ambitious. It's that important to culture. Mm-hmm. And these are all things I believe. I was writing my master's thesis when this came out and I made a point to mention the album in my master's, th- like in my conclusion, like I, I don't remember how um, no one called me on it. No one in my like thesis defense called me on this, but I was like, to Pippa Butterfly will one day be recognized as as important as what's going on. I just had to have it on record that I was thinking that whenever I was writing my thesis, because I believed it so strongly when I first heard it. Like it, it blew my mind, you know, just track after track, just like 
could not believe, especially coming off a of good kid, Mad City, which was very inventive, but still coming from a place that was like really grounded in a way that's just like, oh yeah, he's doing he's doing this and he's doing that, and it's very current, but um with the twist and it's and it was very exciting and very fresh. But with this album, just like starting with the funkiest song you've heard since the since the Chronic, or maybe since Equimini, right? And then going into the hardest jazz hip hop fusion you've ever heard in your life, right? Then going into something like These Walls and Institutionalized up to a, a Sufjan sample, which you know I went bananas over because it's from the album Age of Odds in particular. There's so much to just like make you drop your jaw at it. You know, the way that something that he's, he does on all of his albums is changing the pitch of his voice to do different characters. Um, so like when he pitches his voice up and, and alters his voice a little bit to like be the voice of like Lucy, right? This kind of devil character that comes from the blues tradition, right? That's trying to entice Kendrick with his, his new fame. And you have like the voice, uh, you know, there, there are characters like Uncle Sam and America who are personified in this album. The way Kendrick on tracks like you, right, where you hear him, his voice like really at his most depressed and vulnerable, which you don't get from hip hop. And it's what's always going to make him so unique is that he's so okay to alter his voice and to do these characters and to try these different things that are out there um, in terms of the mainstream. It's not like they've never been done before. I mean, you have things like like Quasimodo, right, on Stone's Throw Records, right, who does stuff with MF Doom and Mad Lib. You know, like, it's not unheard of, but it's certainly not anywhere near the mainstream. Um, and Kendrick puts a, a kind of a narrative element that is sociopolitical and spiritual and comments on you know, Afri- African-American culture from, I mean, this album and entirely comments on, you know, slavery and the reconstruction era uh, and the earliest kind of stages of hip hop up to today. And is very much, even while referencing, you know, like 40 acres and a mule a number of times, right. It never feels right. Like it's, trapped in the past it feels so present and in the present moment that i think is what made everyone's hair stands up when it when it came out um just right there kind of at the genesis of right the black lives matter movement and it came out 2015 which i don't think we've even said that yet but here in 2022 hasn't aged a day um for better or worse right um in terms of you know, sociopolitical, uh, sociopolitically speaking, whereas like even Good Kid, Mad City, you go back and listen to it, and you're like, oh, this sounds like 2012, in a number of ways. It, it, that's not a knock, um, but it, it sounds like music that was coming at that time. But I mean, the best music that was coming out at that time, which I think it was the best album of 2012, by the way, mm-hmm. um, um, like far and away. Well, uh, and Channel Orange is that thing again, you know. Um, but this album, I think, is going to remain more timeless than anything else that he's he's made, I think. And I think that's what's going to give it um, longevity. And I think that's why it's a good pick for us on our list. It, and like you said, it, it came out in 2015. It appeared in the top 10. It appeared in 101 different top 10 lists of that year. 
but 51 different lists, including Rolling Stone, Billboard, Pitchfork, Slant, Spin, The Guardian, Complex, Consequence, and Vice all named this the best album of 2015. And of course, in the 2020 iteration of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, this appeared on the album, this appeared on the list for the first time at number 19. Right. And it's, and even at 19, it's like the third highest charting hip hop album, maybe. But, but all that to be said, you know, and obviously this is one of those, this is one of those albums that it really is an instant classic. Like I, I, I agree with all of the, the superlatives and the accolades that it's received there is something there is something magical there is something um beautifully artistic there is something um that is not just unique to the time although it is a very timely album when it came out in 2015 but like you said i i don't think the message of this album will change at all in the next 50 years Mm -hmm. In, in terms of the importance and the necessity of that message for for the the people that are going to listen to it um and i'm really interested to have a conversation not just about this album but i'm interested to have a conversation about um kendrick lamar as as a person and and kind of the persona of kendrick lamar and i'm so excited that we get to do that today with our guest can you tell us a little bit of our guest today sure yeah our guest uh, someone we've been wanting to get for a long time on the podcast, Miles Marshall Lewis, uh, who has recently released a book called Promise That You Will Sing About Me, The Power and Poetry of Kendrick Lamar. Uh, he also wrote the 33 and the third book on, uh, uh, on uh, There's a Right Going On by Sign the Family Stone. Uh, grew up in the Bronx. Uh, he's been an editor at Vibe and XXL and Ebony and BET. Uh, he's written for the New York Times. Um, he, he's taught a, a class on Kendrick Lamar as well. I mean, uh, this is someone who has interviewed uh, pretty much everyone important in hip hop in the last, you know, 20, 25 years, as long as he's been doing it, you know. So this was a, a very exciting get for us. Before we get to our guest, I want to take a few minutes for us and talk about why we each chose this album, especially considering how much you and I both love Good Kid, Mad City and Damn, the the other two albums of this trilogy. Why did we both pick To Pimp a Butterfly? For you, what, what, was, what was it that made this pick the choice? I mean, most obviously, uh, it's it's the Kendrick Lamar album I listen to the most. Um, so there's that. That's one part of it. Uh, I think it's his most impressive. I don't know. I mean, like, you look at Good Kid, Mad City, and you can say, like, oh, this is like the Illmatic of the 21st century. You know, this is it's as good as Illmatic. Um, it's similar to Illmatic um, thematically. And, and, and Damn is just a great, I mean, Pulitzer Prize winning record, an undeniably great record um, that has his biggest hits on it. Um, Humble and Loyalty, I believe, are his, are his two biggest hits. And I think DNA was, 
you know, and Duckworth are, are two of his best songs. I mean, it arguably has the best album opener and closer of any Kendrick Lamar album. Um, but looking at To Pimp a Butterfly, there's not much to compare it to. Um, you can't really compare it to much in Kendrick Lamar's own discography. Um, you can't find anyone else in hip-hop history to really compare the album to. You kind of have to go to literature or something, something that has more space because it is so dense that I think, I think that's worth something. Um, something that just, you can't compare it to like it's, it's in a league of its own. So I think that makes it the most interesting album that he has, even though, I mean, I think section 80 is also a fantastic record. Uh, His one before good kid, mad city. I like that a whole lot. And there are some of his, some of his best work is on there too. Some of his most impressive, like uh, rigor mortis, I think it is Um, just so impressive. Yeah. To pimp a butterfly. I mean, just like on a, on a musical level, I love it. Um, On an intellectual level, I love it. It just, it can, in in any way that you could love an album, right? To Pippa Butterfly is that album. You know, if you, you know, if you, if you need, if you need like something anthemic, right? uh, You have All Right, right? Um, If you need something a little more introspective, right? You have that. If you need something uplifting, right? You have something like I, right? Choruses, I love myself, um, which, you know, and that's how this album basically ends, uh, which in the context, you know, when the, when the single first came out, I was like, I love myself. That's what, that's what your follow-up is for coming off of good came But in the context of the album, it's a, it's a, it's a much more powerful statement in the context of the album, right? Because it also is a narrative, right? And also has a narrative arc to it. So it, it takes him a long time to get to say, I love myself. I mean, I don't, yeah, it's just so obvious to me that that this is the one um, that belongs on our list. You know, and if, and if we were doing, if, if we were not doing our one album per artist rule, I would entertain all three of them on a top 100 list. I mean, that, that's how much I think that how important he is. You know, but I should also say, right, uh, Kendrick is about my age. He's the first MC that I've seen who's about my age who is in competition for all time great. I agree. There's no one else. I mean, there there is genuinely no one else in that conversation. Yeah, I, I agree with that. For me, I, so To Bimp a Butterfly is one of those albums that I I, I don't struggle with it. Without a doubt, this is his best album. I, I and I I think I'm with you. It's it's kind of a no brainer. This is this is the best one. Admittedly, I still listen to Good Kid, Mad City more. Good Kid, the narrative structure of Good Kid, Mad City makes it something that is easier to digest, and it's also shorter. It's a, it's a you know significantly shorter album. Tight twelve uh, songs. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's also like, sorry, I'm stomping on you, but this is like it's like twelve singles. I mean, they're they're twelve songs that are like ready to like radio friendly, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that you like need to skip over or like apologize for if you're listening through it, right? It's it is a tight twelve tracks. Sorry for interrupting you. No, but and and I hold and I agree that that's I I think that's why it's it's the album I listen to more. To pimp a butterfly is important in a way that Good Kid, Mad City is not important, and 
you know, I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this with our guests today. To Pimp a Butterfly is, is one of a small handful of albums that we might consider kind of woke albums. All of, all of the things that are technically great about this album stand on their own. And then on top of that, because all, all of Kendrick's albums are technically great, but you add to that on To Pimp a Butterfly a, a, a message so important and so timely and you throw that into the mix. I, I think it makes To Pimp a Butterfly, again, with you, the obvious choice. But there, there are two elements to this album as we've been preparing for this that I, I've been thinking about. And one I've been thinking about is the, the ways in which Kendrick Lamar wrestles with his faith and also wrestles with his, uh, his mental health simultaneously. And, and the way that he wrestles with those things gets flushed gets fleshed out in this really incredibly transparent and honest and vulnerable way on this album. And and for me as someone who is, you know, who who is a, a pastor by um by profession who also struggles with with mental health, th- there's something that listening to this album in the last two days through that lens, uh there there are parts of this album that have also have have really become meaningful to me just in the last 48 hours that I don't think I would have been able to put words to before that. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, Micaiah. I'm so glad that we're talking about To Pimp a Butterfly, and I'm so glad that we're talking about it with our guest, Miles. So let's take a break and let you hear from today's sponsor, Anchor, as well as our independent record store of the week. And then we will be back with our guest, Miles Lewis. I'm so excited to tell you about this week's independent record store of the week. Denver, Colorado's Twist and Shout Records. Twist and Shout is located at 2508 East Colfax Avenue in Denver, Colorado. They are open 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sundays. They are available online at twistandshout.com or if you live in the Denver, Colorado area, you can reach them by phone at 303 722 1943. Twist and Shout has an incredible selection. They are without a doubt the largest independent record store in the Denver, Colorado area. They've got a host of vinyl, CDs, posters, everything that you could want. Consider picking up Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly at Twist and Shout Records today. Uh, 
well, I'm a music journalist, a cultural critic. I've been at it for quite some time. Uh, I'm a former editor at Vibe Magazine when it was an actual magazine and not online only. Uh, I've been an editor at Ebony um, under the same circumstances when Ebony was actually a magazine and not only digital. Um, I've worked at Double XL, which is still around and is an important hip hop organ. Uh, BET as well. I was the music editor there uh, when uh, the digital revolution first sort of popped off and there were all these competing hip hop sites. Uh, I've interviewed Prince. I've interviewed Michelle Obama. I've interviewed uh, Kendrick Lamar, certainly, and uh, a bunch of other luminaries. That's kind of what I do. I I review um, music. I interview celebrities, uh, artists, you know, filmmakers, et cetera, et cetera. And um, this is what I do. I, it's just like I, I write book reports about music. You know, that's sort of my job. Uh, in terms of Kendrick Lamar, yes, this is my third book. Uh, my first book was a memoir about growing up in the Bronx and seeing hip hop sort of begin outside my window in the 1970s when I was a, a little kid. And uh, the second book was about uh, There's a Riot Going On, the 1971 album from Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, the last album had Larry Graham on it, and and it sort of marked the end of the '60s, uh, you know, hard stop, and into the the hazy '70s. And uh, so this is my third book, and it's a biography of Kendrick Lamar, but it's sort of a collection of essays approaching Kendrick from different angles. Um, there is another biography about his life um, that takes sort of the more traditional approach, where you know. It starts when he was born and it ends with his last album and in the center there's a whole bunch of pictures. But this is more um, a, a different sort of a thing. Jay-Z released a memoir called Decoded, uh, full of illustrations and uh, photographs and a breakdown of lyrics. And this is more a book like that. This is slightly more coffee table-ish, I would say. And it's got a lot of side commentary running down the sides, uh, not unlike a book like The 48 Laws of Power or um, the Laws of Seduction, I think, is another one. The Art of Seduction is another one from that writer uh, where he he quotes people. So I've got ta Coates quoted. I've got the late, great Greg Tate um, quoted, uh, mentor of mine, music journalist, mentor of mine. Uh, Alicia Garza, who's one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, is in there. You know, I've got like 14 outside voices, so I'm not just pontificating for 250 pages, you know. Um, yeah, so if you get bored of me, you read the side stuff. And uh, and that's that's what the book is. It, it dropped maybe five months ago, and I'm very proud of it. And uh, that's with St. Martin's Press. So I'm writing another book for them uh, that's a similar biography of uh, the life and times of Dave Chappelle. Oh, wow. That would be great. Oh, exciting companion to, to this one. Considering someone who has spent as much time as you have and in, in really an illustrious career, essentially as a cultural critique, as a, a cultural critic, as a music, as a music writer, um, you know, interviewing celebrities, there are so many artists that have come across your radar over your adult life. Why did you choose Kendrick Lamar uh, for the subject of this book? What was it about Kendrick Lamar that drew you to him as a subject for this writing? Sure. Sure. I mean, I think the answer to that lies in the fact that, uh, he was relatable to me. I mean, uh, I don't find myself listening to a lot of modern hip hop. Uh, and granted, I'm 51 years old at this point, you know, so uh, perhaps my day uh, has passed for that. <laughs> but the RMCs that I do still pay attention to, that I do still enjoy. But uh, in terms of modern day MCs, you know, I couldn't write a book about just 
anyone like little baby, you know, or the baby, or you know, like they don't really interest me uh, to spend two over two hundred pages talking about. Uh, Kendrick reminds me of the MCs that I grew up on. Uh, he reminds me of the MCs that I uh, spent my twenties partying to. You know, uh, I sort of mentioned this in the book, but definitely as a teenager, Big Daddy Kane and KRS One and and uh, you know they were important to me. It just Rakim definitely. Uh, I think that Kendrick is as talented as they are, or he's in that lineage. Rappers stepping to me, they wanna get some, but I'm the cane, so yo, you know the outcome. I'm not the victory, they can't get with me. So pick a BC date, cause you're history. I'm the authentic poet to get lyrical. For you to beat me, it's gonna take a miracle. And stepping to me, yo, that's a wrong move. So what you want, Hobbs? Dope a dog, dope a competition. I just devour. Like a pit bull against a chihuahua Cause when it comes to being dope, hot damn, I got it good Now let me tell you who I am The B-I-G-D-A-D-D-Y-K-A-N-E Dramatic, Asiatic, not like many, I'm different So don't compare me to another Cause they can't hang, word to the mother At least not with the principle in this He's in that lineage, uh, you know, I, I respect what he's doing uh, Because I recognize it, you know, like this is the hip-hop that uh, This is how hip-hop is kind of supposed to sound to me you're supposed to care about your lyrics and there's supposed to be sort of a concept album uh, element in there like the chronic by dr dre or like uh you know ready to die by vicky so um so he makes sense to me you know and um i i definitely you know he's one of the i guess few younger mcs that that do and um so rather than write a Drake book, and Drake doesn't even grab me like that, but I guess maybe arguably that's enough to dive into for a book. Uh, I'm aware that um, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson is writing a book about Drake and has been teaching a Drake course uh, at some school somewhere, um, you know, the past few years. But uh, Kendrick strikes me, you know, that way, that, that he deserves uh, some interest, some, some I don't know, uh, extrapolation, you know, like to go through his lyrics. And uh, I myself taught a Kendrick course at NYU at uh, New York University's Clive Davis Institute of Recording Music uh, right before COVID hit, I guess, I, while I was writing the book in 2019, I, I taught a class there and uh, it was my first time teaching at all, but on the college level. And uh, it was interesting, you know, those, those kids taught me a lot and they were very enthused about Kendrick and we had a lot of fun, you know? So, uh, so yeah, you know, I care enough about him to teach a class about him or to write a full length book like this, uh, you know, going into him. I, I love his lyrics, I love his artistry. Hit me! You.
strobe lights in a room. Not your little secretary, bitch, for the homies. Blue eyed devil with a fat ass mouth. I'ma buy a brand new cutty on Vows. Truck the hood up two times, do flow. Plan them on everything, plan them on wedding right? Married to the game and a bad bitch shows. When I get signed on me, I'ma buy strap. Straight from the CIA, set it on my lap. Take a few M16s to the hood. Pass them all out on the black ones, good. I'ma put the cop that swap me by the White House. Republican run up, get signed out. Hit the press with a Cuban link on my neck. Uneducated, but I got a million dollar check like that. We should never We should never You've made a claim that recently there's been a kind of a shift toward like woke albums and woke music kind of starting with D'Angelo's Black Messiah. So, so what, what exactly is this trend? What is woke albums? And then also how does Kendrick um, factor into this trend that you're spotting? Sure. Sure. I mean, I think that um, when to Pimper Butterfly came out and all right was on it that uh, I mean, I detailed this in the book, but um, all right was sort of picked up at black lives matter rallies. Uh, It was sort of a chant that uh, protesters at the rallies were sort of, uh, chanting you know while they were there and it was sort of overtaking something like we shall overcome you know in the 1960s mm-hmm. uh with the with the protest marches that king was involved in uh in the civil rights movement and stuff like that when they were saying gospel uh spirituals like we shall overcome uh it seemed as though all right was becoming sort of tantamount to that for the modern age you know um but in terms of the woke music trend uh yeah i just sort of noticed that there were different releases coming out that uh, seemed like they were concerned with politics. I mean, to take it back to something like uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, you know, uh, which was like maybe the first uh, soul music concept album, you know, uh, centered around his brother's experiences in Vietnam and and how Marvin Gaye felt about the Vietnam War and and just... uh, you know, different uh, social things uh, that were happening at the time. Um, you know, it was, it was, there were, there were two, it was like a twofold thing where like there was the commercial aspect of it where, yes, it was probably uh, Marvin Gaye's biggest selling album. But on the other hand, like it, it had uh, meatiness to it, like it had a lot to say. And that's, it's like a hard balance to, to have in pop music. Uh, and yet, I think that uh, we're seeing more and more of that nowadays. Um, you know, Janelle Monet uh, released a single called Hell You Talking About, where she just sort of has this litany of um, of police uh, brutality uh, victims, you know, uh, that are in the song, that their names are, are brought up over and over. Um, you know, All Right, of course, belongs in there. Uh, Beyonce's formation video, you know, where she's in New Orleans and she's like on top of a uh, sinking police car in the video, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of make us think about uh, Hurricane Katrina and, and the country's response to it and uh, stuff like that. Like, I think that um, there's there's sort of a trend of pop music, pop musicians sort of uh, caring more or releasing music that speaks to the times. And I think that that's great. You know, I mean, of course, I'm in, I'm in favor of it. Um, you know, what's interesting to me is, uh, is it catching on commercially? You know, and I don't I don't know that it is. I don't know that these songs or these albums are like going to number one in quite the same mm-hmm. way that what's going on did, you know, uh, or the music of. Um, uh, well, I think about Fela when I think about, you know, 
social consciousness. Certainly, I think about um, Bob Marley, you know, like I think about uh, globally, uh, these different artists from different areas of the globe sort of uh, speaking truth to power in their music. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't know that it's it's reached the sort of point where um, where these releases are, uh, are catching on commercially, but at least they're being made. And, uh, yeah. and, and you know, they're being listened to you know by somebody i mean uh it's it's um it's all evidence of, of the times of Nazareth, i'm fucked up homie you fucked up but if god got us then we go be all right And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. Skimming, and let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in a twilight. With pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight. Now tell my mama I love her, but this what I like. Lord knows. 20 of them in my Chevy, tell them all to come and get me. Reaping everything I sow. So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings on my record. I'm a motherfucking gangster in silence for the record. Uh. Tell the world I know it's too late. Boys and girls, I think I've gone great. Trying to side my face is all day. Won't you please believe when I say? When you know we've been hurt, been down before. Nigga, when our pride was low. Looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate poor, poor. Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure. Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door. My knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gon' be alright. Yeah, I'm with you. And it was it was interesting to me when To Pimp a Butterfly came out to bring back to this album because I remember um, so many people who I know who are white, um, mm-hmm. you know, love Good Kid, Mad City. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And then To Pimp a Butterfly came out. They're like, I, I guess I like a couple of songs. Like they just, it's just like, they kind of like recognize, uh, I don't I don't know that this one's for me. I don't think mm-hmm. that this one's speaking to me, you know, Good okay. Kid, Mad City, um, while being specific to Kendrick's life and being autobiographical, has Definitely. still has a pretty universal theme. You know, it's a redemption narrative, right? It's the hero's yeah. journey. And to, right. Pimp a, to Pimp a Butterfly as well is also a hero's journey, but like in a very different context and just is concerned with so many more things that there's a lot to grab onto. Um, and if you miss one of them, then you're kind of just flailing along trying to keep up sure. with the world that's happening sure um, sure yeah but but it is a mystery like why that doesn't catch on as commercially yet at the same time right um 11 grammys yeah right like there were 11 grammy nominations and he took home a whole bunch of them and so there is this uh this critical elevation of what he's doing you know mm-hmm. uh, although he didn't win album of the year and it has never one uh the you know the real album of the year grammy uh they always give him the the hip-hop grammy not always but he's gotten uh hip-hop grammys for album of the year but uh you know it's, it's far more rare to get the the big prize when it comes to hip-hop uh you know outcast has won it and lauren hill has won it and so many other deserving albums have not i mean you know to your point uh I think the yardstick was sort of different commercially back then, you know, because if an album sold 500,000 copies, you know, that's going gold. That, that was like a really big deal. You know, um, the point has been made that like, let's say 
70% of hip hop's audience is white people. Mm. And so it's like, if you're not, if you're only reaching the 30% that's black people, then your record goes gold and anything above gold is because you attracted a white audience, you know? Um, so NWA could go multi-platinum because they were attracting the same sort of audience as Guns N' Roses was attracting, you know, um, white kids who like to stick up their middle finger and, you know, and, uh, like rebellious music, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, whether things were hitting commercially during that golden age of hip hop is just, you know, it, it's an, it's a, uh, it's a debate, you know, uh, public enemy, of course, uh, were a great band and, and created one of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. But, uh, you know, like KRS one poor righteous teachers, uh, Paris, any of those uh, MCs who were sort of political, political minded, uh, you know, they weren't selling multi-platinum, you know, uh, and in fact, hip hop on a whole uh, really didn't until maybe the death row era, you know, of albums like The Chronic. Uh, there were outliers, naturally, you know, the Beastie Boys could sell three million copies of License to Ill and spray beer on each other and stuff like that. Uh, Run DMC as well uh, with Raising Hell uh, went triple uh, platinum, selling 3 million copies, probably on the strength of uh, Walk This Way, and, you know, bringing Aerosmith back from the dead. But um, but aside from outliers like that, generally, you know, rap albums didn't go multi-platinum. And so when you had Rakim and, and Big Daddy Kane uh, occasionally, you know, speaking about political things, uh, their records weren't like selling like gangbusters, you know even then. Yeah. You mentioned such a good point about the, the kind of the the crossover audience, but going back to this idea of kind of woke music, Mm -hmm. I I wonder then if an album like black Messiah, an album like pimp a butterfly or damn, I, I wonder if the result we'll see of that may not be that huge crossover commercial success, but I wonder if what we'll actually see is for that right, sure. audience that grabs a hold so that, so that ultimately the success of them may not be, um, may not be measured in terms of album sales, but, but right. in, in generational change. Sure. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, uh, it's been said over and over uh, in like uh, rock music critic circles that like uh, the Velvet Underground's first album uh, didn't really sell much when it came out, but everyone who bought it started their own band. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> it like had that sort of influence uh, that can't really be measured by how many millions of albums did it sell. You know, uh, in Public Enemy's day, when I was buying and listening out to albums like Yo Bum Rush the Show, and it takes a nation of millions to hold us back, I would definitely have my ear uh, peaked to Chuck D mentioning people like Joanne Chesimard and uh, Louis Farrakhan and, and uh, you know, different people who would make me say, well, who, well, who is that? You know, and not being able to search in genius.com for like what he was talking about. <laughs> I kind of had to ask around or, you know, research for myself. Like, well, who were, who were these people and why are they important enough to be in a Public Enemy song? And, um, you know, it, it sort of made you dive down a rabbit hole that maybe you wouldn't have, you know? And uh, I think that the, the same may be true of uh, little name checks and, and uh, you know, references that uh, people like Kendrick, you know, make nowadays. I got a bone to pick. I don't want to 
don't want you monkey mouth motherfucker sitting in my throne again. I'm mad, but I ain't stressing. True friends, one question. Bitch, where you and I was walking? Now I run a game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off him. Kunta, black man taking no losses. Oh, yeah. Bitch, where you and I was walking? Now I run a game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off him. When you got the yams, what's the yams? The yam is the power that be. You can smell it when I'm walking down the street. With a ghost rider, what the fuck happened? Oh no! I swore I wouldn't tell. But most of y'all share bars like you got to buy the bottle bunk in a two-man sale. A two-man sale. Something's in the water. Something's in the water. And if I got a brown nose for some gold, then I'd rather be a bum than a motherfucking bum. Oh yeah! Bitch, where you and I was walking? Now I run again, got the whole world talking. Like I mentioned, uh, with Chuck D mentioning, uh. Joanne Chesimard made me f- try to figure out who she is. Like one would hope that some sixteen-year-old kid listening to to, to Pimple Butterfly and the opening song is Wesley's Theory with George Clinton on it. If he's never heard of George Clinton, he may think to himself, "Well, why why would Kendrick invite this guy instead of you know Tyler the Creator or Earl Sweatshirt or somebody?" Right. And then go and discover the music of George Clinton, you know, which would uh, more than likely blow his mind, you know. Um, so, you know, it's like little breadcrumbs that I think Kendrick was sort of leaving for listeners that he is well aware might not be uh, up on these other people, you know? You also have to go back and figure out who Wesley Snipes even is. Yeah. Uh, right. for, for younger people, you know? Absolutely. And, it's very true. Until they put uh, him in a Marvel movie or something, like, you know, who is Wesley Snipes? Yeah. It, uh, well, I mean, thinking about cinema, um, Kendrick really sees his albums through a cinematic lens. I think uh, so. mm-hmm. You know, uh, Good Kid, Mad City, right? The subtitle is, you know, a short film, right? By Kendrick Lamar. And he's talked about, uh, I think explicitly Pulp Fiction, like, oh, how it's nonlinear and it tells a story. Definitely. Uh, yes. Which is also very Southern California. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and taking that and, and running with it. And to Pimp a Butterfly, however feels more akin to like a composite novel than a cinema it feels as epic as as a movie um but i guess you'll get that of a system with black panther um and really see the fulfillment of that um but to pimp a butterfly feels more like kane by gene tumor like a composite novel that kind of um transcends region like it can go from um, you know, New York or Chicago and the South, and it can tell you all these different stories and bring them all together and, and use different kind of images and words to kind of carry, you know, give them a, a through line to bring them all together. Right. And that's kind of what To Pimp a Butterfly seems like. I mean, they're, 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 the songs and the way the album moves is kind of in, in categories, you know, that mm-hmm. he just kind of will pick up and put down and revisit. And I think for me, right. that's what makes it, his most interesting album to listen to intellectually, even if it doesn't have swimming pools or bitch don't kill my vibe, you know, sure. it doesn't have the, the party, you know, anthems, mm-hmm, um, right. but there's something so ambitious 
about the album. I think like if you look at the films of Quentin Tarantino, for example, right? Um, I think there's something you'd have to Google it because I, I can't because I'm talking. But <laughs> there's something I think called uh, Big Apple cigarettes or something like that appear. Candy in apple every... cigarettes? Is that what? Yeah, it is? maybe, maybe that appear in every. Uh, Tarantino movie, you know, you might see a billboard for it, or mm-hmm. if there's a character smoking, they're smoking like this fictional cigarette, you know, that sort of connotes that uh, all of his films take place in the same universe or something, you know. Uh, I think that there are, like I said before, with the breadcrumbs, you know, there are sort of uh, breadcrumbs of different characters uh, on different Kendrick albums that appear later in other Kendrick albums, mm-hmm. uh, where if you're paying attention, you know, that like someone like Shireen, um, who appears in Good Kid, Bad City, had already been mentioned, like maybe two albums previously mm-hmm. on the Kendrick Lamar EP, you know, where you get the sense of, oh, wow. So he set that up. Like he knew that he would be bringing these people back, you know, to right. speak about them. Uh, even on some Pimp a Butterfly, I think Shireen's sister is maybe mentioned. Uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's just this whole multiverse that, yeah. that he's created. Uh, for all of his albums to exist in, you know, but um, to Pimper Butterfly does uh, fall through a, a bunch of different places, like you mentioned. I mean, even going to Africa, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kendrick visited South Africa and went to the cell of Nelson Mandela on Robben Island and uh, performed in Cape Town and uh, saw Johannesburg and sort of changed the direction of To Pimper Butterfly. Uh, there are songs like Mama on there where he, he's speaking about and how much a dollar costs even, uh, which uh, Obama said was his favorite song of the year or something at some point, uh, came from him being, uh, uh, getting gas at like a, a South African gas station and feeling guilt about not giving some money to someone who asked for it, you know, uh, who would come up to his car. And uh, so, you know, there's a bunch to unpack with un- with Tim Pepper Butterfly. Uh, there's the G-Funk element, you know, because Dr. Dre is still whispering in his ear, you know, and, and, and giving like little advice about what should be done and where, and even makes an appearance uh, on Wesley's theory. Uh, you know, the jazz element obviously is there. Uh, young guns like Thundercat and Flying Lotus and uh, even Layla Hathaway and, uh, Robert Glasper, you know, they're all on there uh, giving it uh, the jazziest sort of influence that exists on a hip hop record since A Tribe Called Quest or something like that, you know. Uh, Tupac is on the album, you know, and that's like a a mystery sort of until the end, you know, I mean, you know the album. So he's reciting a poem in, in fits and starts throughout the whole album. And at the end, he recites the entire thing, and it turns out that he's like in a conversation with Tupac, uh, which is digitally spliced uh, from an old interview that uh, Pac did in Germany with some music journalist over there. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers until I came home. But that didn't stop survivor's guilt. Going back and forth trying to convince myself the stripes I earned. Or maybe how A1 my foundation was. But while my loved ones was fighting a continuous war back in the city, I was entering a new one. A war that was based on apartheid and discrimination. 
made me want to go back to the city and tell the homies what I learned. The word was respect. Just because you wore a different game color than mine's doesn't mean I can't respect you as a black man. Forgetting all the pain and hurt we caused each other in these streets. If I respect you, we unify and stop the enemy from killing us. But I don't know. I'm no mortal man. Maybe I'm just another nigga. Shit, and that's all I wrote. I was gonna call it another nigga, but it ain't really a poem. I just felt like it's something you probably could relate to. Other than that, now that I finally got a chance to holler at you, I always wanted to ask you about a certain situation, about a metaphor, actually. Uh, you spoke on the ground. What you mean by that? What the ground represent? The ground is going to open up and swallow the evil. Right. That's how I see it. My word is born. I see, and the ground is a symbol for the poor people. Right. The poor people is gonna open up this whole world and swallow up the rich people. Cause the rich people are gonna be so fat and, and they're gonna be so appetizing. You know what I'm saying? Wealthy, appetizing. The poor are gonna be so hungry. poor and hungry. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be like, you know what I'm saying? Be, they might, there might be some cannibalism out this month. <laughs> they might eat the rich. You know what I'm saying? All right. So let, let me ask you this then: Do you see yourself as Somebody that's rich or somebody that made the best of their own opportunities. I see myself as a natural born hustler, a true hustler in every sense of the word. I took nothing, I took the opportunities, I worked at the, the most menial and degrading job and built myself up so I can get it to where I owned it. Uh, I went from having somebody manage me to me hiring the person that works my management company. Right. I changed everything. I realized my destiny in a matter of five years, you know what I'm saying, and made myself a millionaire. Right. I, made, I made millions for a lot of people, now it's time to make millions for myself, you know what I'm saying? I made millions for the record companies, I made millions for these movies, Movie companies now we make millions for, for us all right and it's and it's a yeah it's, it's a great way for him to end the album but we should also spend some more time with the tupac element now i don't there there i think there's a definite influence on tupac's writing on kendrick but i think tupac the persona and the person may arguably be more important to kendrick and that might be true for a lot of people, but right. it, but it's so important, and he's so important to Kendrick that the album was almost called right, right. to pimp a caterpillar, right. which would have looked like spelled out right Tupac, right? No, for uh, sure. So there's the changes there. So mm-hmm. how? I mean, I guess I mean I, maybe this is a free answer. Why Tupac? I mean, it's it's such a large album that, that goes all the way to Africa and it comes back to Compton and it goes so many places. Yet Tupac still seems to be really the heart of this album. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the 90s, um, I enjoy Tupac, especially, uh, I want to say especially his hits. <laughs> uh, the main thing I want to say about Tupac is that when it comes to Tupac and Biggie, uh, I appreciated Biggie's lyricism more, you know. Yeah. Um, I I'd never really thought that Tupac was was that fantastic a rapper uh, in terms of lyrics. Um, what I appreciated about Tupac the most was his spirit, you know, uh, how uh, how audacious he was, you know, uh, how um, unapologetic he was just in his expression, uh, you know, how how fearless he could be. You know, and uh, I think these are the things that really made him 
the icon that he remains today. You know, um, I, like I've traveled around the world. I, I've lived in Paris for seven years and I've been to um, Algeria, like lecturing about hip hop and I've been to Nigeria and, I've, you know, like wherever I go, uh, there is inevitably some teenage kid on the side of the road with a Tupac t-shirt on, you know, because he, he had that kind of global impact. Um, and I think that that's really what people relate to. I mean, uh, you can love different things that he has to say on different songs, of course. I mean, that's as an artist, that's what he had to uh, sort of uh, give to us all, you know, but it was sort of, it, it was his spirit that I think people relate to. It's, it's like sort of Muhammad Ali sort of, you know, bravado. Uh, that he he really carried around with him at all times, you know. Um, naturally, there are specifics in terms of him being raised by the Black Panthers. His mother was in the Black Panthers, and and uh, you know he had a very revolutionary aesthetic that people also um, definitely uh, you know relate to and are inspired by. But I think that that's really uh, where Kendrick comes at it you know, comes from with it, you know, like, I think that he is equally inspired by, by Tupac's spirit, you know, that he, Kendrick kind of wants to be that, that kind of figure in hip hop. Uh, definitely, he's going on record talking about how inspired he was by Eminem and by Jay-Z and by, uh, you know, different, even DMX, people might, you might, uh, people you might not expect, you know, corrupt from the dog pound, even, uh, was, you know, a big uh, deal to Kendrick. But I think, you know, Tupac is, is the greatest influence on him. And I think it's because of Tupac's spirit. You know, I think that uh, Kendrick sort of wants to share himself um, in the ways that, that Tupac shared himself that, that seemed to touch everybody around the world so deeply, you know? With Tupac also, there's so much myth-making that Tupac right. did like about himself even in his own time that Kendrick seems to be really aware of maybe even at a young age kind of aware and Kendrick has Definitely. done that with his connection to Tupac as well you know there's the story of kind of myth-making of himself that he I think does with the albums also um, kind right. of creating himself into a mythical person that is much larger than maybe even like a celebrity persona you know, that he's something that Kendrick himself is also mythic in the way that we look back at Tupac as kind of a mythic figure. I agree with that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that for, for the modern hip hop audience, uh, that's just sort of sorely lacking, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know who looms as large uh, like that uh, in today's landscape. Um, I really, I, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, it's hard yeah. to say. I mean, uh, you know, the one who, I don't know, Little Nas X gets a lot of love and press, you know, but press and love is that it's not like as impactful as, as a Tupac Shakur, or, right. you know, even a, a Biggie Smalls, you know, it's, it's, it's apples and oranges. It's a different, it's a different day and age. And so for Kendrick to sort of set the, the bar that high for himself that, you know, he, what he wants to do is encapsulate what his heroes represented for him. I, I think that is a, part, a big part of where his success lies. How much
much a dollar really costs The question is detrimental, paralyzed in my thoughts Parasites in my stomach keep me with a gut feeling, y'all Gotta see how I'm chilling once I park this luxury car Hopping out, feeling big as Mutombo 20 on pump six, Tony Marcellus called me Dumbo 20 years ago, came for gift, now I can lend him my era too How to stack these residuals tenfold The liberal concept that men are do 2006, he didn't hear me Indigenous African only spoke Zulu, my American tongue was leery Walked out the gas station, a homeless man with a semi-tan complexion Asked me what ten ran, stressing about dry land Deep water, powder blue skies that crack open, a piece of crack that he wanted I knew he was smoking, he begged and pleaded Asked me to feed him twice, I didn't believe it, told him beat it Contributed money just for his pipe, I couldn't see it He said, my son, temptation is one thing that I've defeated Listen to me, I want a single bill from you Nothing less, nothing more I told him I didn't have it, then closed my door Tell me how much a dollar cost Your original review that you did of Pimp to Pimp Butterfly You call the album a new masterpiece And we've been talking about some of the things that make the album a, a masterpiece and, and one of those right. things is not just Tupac But this very meaningful trip he takes to Africa and sure. that trip, I mean, changes the trajectory of this album that for, if, at least at least if we're to believe what has been reported and what he said in interviews, he essentially had 20 songs ready to go for the next album that all got pushed to the back burner on this trip to Africa, that, that everything was changed in, in his time in South Africa. Can you can you help us connect the dots there? What is it about that trip and what is it about what changed for him coming out of that trip that so paints the color of this album? Right, right. Well, you know, I think uh, as an aside, a big narrative of this album is about survivor's guilt, you know, um, because uh, Good Kid, Mad City was such a monster of an album. Uh, it worked on every level and he got all these Grammy nominations and, and he was able to position himself exactly where he had methodically sort of planned to, to be, you know? And so by the time of the follow-up album, uh, he's dealing with uh, the world that he left behind in Compton and how people's lives have gone since leaving. You know, uh, he had a close friend, uh, you know, get murdered. Uh, his baby sister uh, was 13, 14 and got pregnant and had the baby, you know, and, and he felt like, if he had been around to be big brother, you know, that's something that wouldn't have happened and um, stuff like that. So, you know, this sort of fosters a mentality of like, why me? Like, you know, why am I the successful one? Or why am I, you know, like, why didn't my life go that way? Uh, you know, like you're it's, it's survivor's guilt. So the trip to South Africa, I think maybe helped him uh, in a way make a link between uh, just diaspora, like an African diaspora sort of link between like, you know, the people that I'm seeing in Africa are just like the people that I left behind in Compton, you know. Um, uh, he went for a series of concerts in uh, Cape Town and Johannesburg and then decided to stay longer than his allotted time so that he could visit, uh, you know, where Nelson Mandela was, was locked up uh, on Robben Island and you know, it's it's just a life changing experience for most African Americans actually to to go back uh, to um, you know to an, to where we came from basically where our, where our ancestors came from, you know. But I think that it um it just sort of enlightened him in terms of uh, making him uh, 
more comfortable with a success, you know, and maybe maybe seeing himself as more of a, a beacon of hope, you know, for for uh, for not only like his peers in Compton, but just black people around the world, you know. Um, you know, I think it, it gave him sort of uh, a sense of his, his own gravitas a little bit more, you know, that like, okay, um, people are looking up to me and uh, just like Nelson Mandela was such a, such a iconic figure, you know, I can do with my fame, you know, a similar thing to what Mandela did in terms of inspiring people, you know, in terms of doing for others, uh, and being more altruistic and, and, and not having the survivor's guilt, you know, or being less guilty about, you know, where God has placed him, you know, he's, he's very religious as well. And um, I think that uh, those were some of the thoughts going through his head at the time. In some ways, he's beginning to make sense of his fame. He's beginning to make sense right. of his position. But he's he's also, I think he's beginning to understand the weight of his own voice. The yeah. the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, the responsibility, the, the obligations that come with his voice. And and it does. That, that seems to whatever it is that he has unlocked or figured out or, or kind of made peace with in to pimp a butterfly, it's, it really does seem to uh, have changed the trajectory. Some even, even for as methodical he is and kind of planned out as this whole thing seems to be, it does seem to mm-hmm. change the trajectory a little bit of his career since. Um, yeah. I mean, around the time that I, I spoke to Kendrick for a, a cover story for Ebony Magazine, and um, that was sort of what launched the idea to do this book, uh, because our conversations were so, you know, enlightening to me. Um, I was really glad to meet him. But he told me around that time that he had met with Prince, right? Uh, and this is obviously before Prince passed away. So I think months after speaking to Kendrick, I went out to Minneapolis to interview Prince for something. And Prince told me the same thing. Like, yeah, Kendrick was just here. And, you know, we spoke, we, I can't tell you what we spoke about, blah, 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 blah. You know, both of them were kind of cryptic about their conversation. But um, but they're, they're, they're the same uh, astrological sign. They're two Geminis, as is Tupac, uh, as is Miles Davis, for that matter. And uh, I think that uh, just as uh, Prince had a reputation of being in the studio all the time uh, and sort of living his life through his art, I think Kendrick is, is a lot similar in that regard, you know. Uh, Prince uh, released a song before he passed called Baltimore, uh, which was about um, the death of, uh, I guess, Freddie Gray, I believe it was, um, who was, uh, you know, killed by the police. And, it, like, uh, it was during the Black Lives Matter rallies, uh, the initial Black Lives Matter rallies. And uh, he did a, a benefit concert uh, and it was sort of centered around this song that he wrote for the situation, Baltimore. I think that, uh, I don't know that Prince and Kendrick talked about this kind of thing, but, you know, Kendrick was of the same mind, you know, when creating something like All Right for, for To Pimple Butterfly and uh, subsequent work, you know, uh, the the verse that he has, uh, even, you know, with Beyonce, on Beyonce's album, uh, you know, stuff like that weighs heavily on his mind. Like, I, I think that he does want to be um, that that voice for truth, you know, that Tupac was occasionally. One, two, one, two, what's happening for you? I done been through a whole lot. 
try tribulation, but I know God. The devil wanna put me in a bow tie. Play that the holy water don't go dry, yeah, yeah. As I look around me, so many motherfuckers wanna down me. But in a meagle, never drown me. In front of a dirty double mirror, they found me. And I love myself. Huh? I want you looking at me. I tell me what do you see. I love myself. I put a bullet in the back of the back of the head. And I put me. I love myself. Uh, by the hand of God. Boy, don't seem shy. I love myself. One day at a time. They wanna say it's a war side, bomb in the street, gun in the hood, mob of police, rock on the corner with a line full of fiend and a bottle full of lean and a mother wanna scheme, uh These days of frustration keep y'all Come to the front Yeah, I duck these cold faces, post up feet, five off for basis Dreams are realities, peace Blow steam in the face of the beast Sky can fall down, we can cry now Look at me, motherfucker, I smile, I love myself Uh and when you're looking at me But tell me what do you see? I love myself Put a bullet in the back of the back of the head of the police. So when you take Good Kid, Mad City to Pimp a Butterfly and Damn, this this kind of trilogy of albums, right. um, I mean, all of them have been universally praised. You, you really don't see any. I mean, the the number of nominations for Grammys, the number of of critical reception. I mean, every year that he's released an album, they're making a top 10 list at the end of the year. But among these three kind of universally praised albums, which one do you think is the best? Yeah, it's such a hard question. You know, uh, I think of the reviews that I've had for this uh, book that uh, I think one of the critiques was that I spent a lot of time on Good Kid, Mad City, or maybe more time on Good Kid, Good Kid, Mad City than the other albums. And I hadn't realized that writing the book, really. Um, and so I think maybe subliminally, <laughs> probably, uh, maybe I like Good Kid, Mad City the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would say that I, I just love them all equally. Um, I mean, yeah. not to be PC or anything like that. It's just, it's just so hard to pick one as being superior than the other. Um, you know, they all have different... Um, uh, you know, things that they want to say artistically and, uh, and different ways of saying it. Uh, but maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe it's Good Kid, Bad City. You know, maybe I should just own yeah. up to it. And, and that's, <laughs> especially, as, especially as a writer, that makes sense. It's his most autobiographical right. album. You know, yeah. and, and considering you're going to write about him, it makes the most sense that you would reference that album the most. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, uh, you know, what he did cinematically with it, uh, that it, it is really sort of a movie on wax. I do love uh, the out-of-sequence stuff that, uh, as, I, as, we, as we've said, is sort of reminiscent of Pulp Fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was just it was just brilliantly done. The, the songs are all great. Uh, you know, I named the entire book after uh, Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst, uh, which is probably uh, my favorite Kendrick song mm-hmm. when it comes down to it. And, um, you know, it, it sort of has movements to it. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's layered, and I love that. Um, so, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, it could be a good kid. It could, you know, uh, what do you think? Well, it's, it's funny you mention it. So, we, this is our second season of the podcast, and the idea behind the podcast is we kind of both bring a list of, of the albums that we're kind of recommending doing for the season. And okay. last, last year when we did it, I put Good Kid, Good Kid, Mad City, not to Pimp a Butterfly. And this year when we did it, I did to Pimp a Butterfly. 
I think I think to pimp a butterfly is his best album. Good city is my favorite. Right, right, right. I get that. (laughs) Get that. I get that. Yeah, you know, I I love, I love. uh, I mean, I've been asked this question before, and not a million times, but at least once. And I believe the last time I was asked, I said to pimp a butterfly, and then Mm -hmm. I thought about it afterwards. Like, well, is that really true? I mean, and then it's as if no one mentions "damn," but "damn," uh, you Great know, album. You can write "damn" backwards. <laughs> you know, you can change the order of "damn" and run it from the last song to the first song. And I can't. There's no other album that exists like that. And it was intentionally done, and that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the songs on there are also stellar. And so, um, so yeah, this isn't to give short shrift to "damn" at all. "Damn" could just as easily be chosen. We don't have much time left, but I do want to get to our last question. Um, so really, it's what's your top five, right? But this is, uh, you know, in the spirit of Chris Rock's great movie, right? Top yeah. five. Um, so you can, this is open to interpretation, right? What you think are the okay. top five best albums, your top five favorite albums, or it can mm. be, you know, a top five underappreciated that you want to turn people on to, okay. or okay. if you want to do top five MCs, you know, this is right. open for interpretation, <laughs> however you want to approach it. Okay. Well, yeah, in the interest of time, uh, I'll do top five MCs because I think they're freshest, you know, off the top of my head. Uh, it would have, it would be Jay-Z. It would be Nas. It would be Black Thought because I forgot him last time. Someone asked this. Uh, Jay-Z, Nas, Black Thought, Rakim, and Probably Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. But Big Daddy Kane, you know, it could be Big Daddy Kane or KRS-One. I'm not really sure. But, you know, they're all sort of older school MCs. Uh, Kendrick has not uh, advanced to my top five yet. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's only got three albums. Uh, That's a very New York answer, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> I was going to say that those 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 are what we would refer to as Homer picks, right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I mean, we're we're from Florida, right? So we're like, where's Outcast, right. man? Where's <laughs> yeah? I hear you. I mean, uh, mm, I mean, Andre three thousand. Yeah, he could go. It's like the fifth slot is sort of a revolving door for me, you know. Right. So it could be Andre three thousand, or it could be Kane, or it could be Karis One. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, who else do you think I missed or who else would, you know, I mean, you didn't say tribe, which I was, that was surprising. I thought you would put Q-tip in there. Nah. I mean, you know, he's great. He's, I mean, it, it's just, it's a tight, it's a tight slot, you know, it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. is it I because mean, you see, is it because tip is more like producer MC versus like, probably. or it's like KRS one. It's just like, right. Like it's KRS one. He's the MC and Scott LaRock is, you know, DJ, so it's like, yeah, I mean, when I think of top five MCs, I'm just really thinking about lyricism, you know, right. um, definitely a tribe called quest was a, a strong force in hip hop, uh, that, you know, is, is very beloved and, uh, and they deserve all their accolades. Um, they're fantastic. And Q-Tip is nice on the mic. Uh, but in terms of being one of the five greatest of all time, mm-hmm. um, no, I, I wouldn't place them up there. I was going to say, I think black thought is, a. That that's that's the that's the one I'm glad to see get okay. get, get some representation. Mm-hmm, sure. I, I'll say like I, I think it's one of those things that for a lot of people like be, because over the last ten years 
in and I think a lot of people's mind, the roots are Jimmy Fallon's band. Right. <laughs> that, that like you forget. And that's that's why I think was so great about the uh the like 10 and a half minute hot 97 freestyle that he did. Yep. Yep. When you count you count through it and you're like, he went nonstop for 186 bars. Like <laughs> and he was just making it all up. Yeah, and then and then you think you start counting the references that show up in, in that 10 and a half minutes. <laughs> And you're yeah. like, there's literary history, there's like cultural, yeah. history. Like, yeah. it, it's everything. And you, right. yeah, that's that's the stuff that amazes me. Where you go, oh, that's right. Like they're not <laughs> they're not Jimmy Fallon's band. They're one of the best hip hop acts of all time. Right. And you're yeah. one Philly act. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. So so New York, New York, Philly, New York, New York. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. You know, I mean, Cali has great MCs. Uh, it doesn't always have to be New York and Cali either. Um, you know, Snoop is a great MC. Um, Ice Cube definitely is a great MC, mm-hmm. or used to be. Um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, they have great voices. I mean, Kendrick, obviously, you know. Um, yeah, I might pick Kendrick before I pick Ice Cube. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I am from New York. <laughs> And uh, those are the albums, really, that, that, you know, those artists' albums impacted me the most, I would say. Yeah, I, I have no problems with your list. I think it's... <laughs> well, thank you. You know, it's just... <laughs> but it, it was very regionally biased, but, I mean, it's... It is New York, you know, it is... It is what happens, you know, so can't be given, too bad. Given that, I am surprised that we saw... No one from Wu-Tang was on the list, and we and we also didn't see Big on the list. Uh, did I not say Biggie? No. You you left him out. Uh-oh. There goes Black Thought. <laughs> yeah, I know. Damn. I mean, so it's Jay-Z, Nas, Biggie, Black Thought, and... Big Daddy Kane? Andre 3000. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Love it. Uh, Miles, we can't thank you enough for spending the hour with us and talking to us about Kendrick Lamar. For all of our guests, we want to encourage you to go out and pick up Promise That You Will Sing About Me, The Power and Poetry of Kendrick Lamar, which is available now wherever books are sold. And as we let you go, Miles, how can our listeners stay up to date with what's going on in you? Can they follow you on social? What? How can they stay up to date with what's happening in your life? Yes, please. Uh, so my social is MML, my initials, uh, MML Unlimited at uh, Facebook, at Twitter, at Instagram. Uh, yeah, I need to get my Twitter numbers up, I guess. Uh, everybody <laughs> jump over there and, and, and follow me there. Uh, that's sort of where I, I you know, I, uh, I tell you what's up with me. You know, um, I'm going to be at the Lewis Museum in Baltimore in October. Uh, giving sort of a lecture about Kendrick Lamar. Uh, and I'm involved with Carnegie Hall's Afrofuturism exhibit, uh, which cool. starts next month. I'm writing a bunch of stuff for them. Uh, you know, it's, it's a festival that lasts a couple of weeks, a bunch of concerts and stuff that, you know, cool stuff coming up. Um, but yeah, you know, definitely follow me on social at MML Unlimited and, uh, and give me a shout out. Fantastic. Fantastic. Miles, thank you so much for doing this. We appreciate your time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you uh, for inviting me. It was very fun.
spitting all on your face So predictable your words, I know what you're gonna say Who you're fooling or you assuming you can just come and hang With the homies but your level of realness ain't the same Circus acts only attract those that entertain Small talk, we know that it's all talk We live in the laugh factory every time they mention your name Ask where the hoes at to impress me Ask where the money bags to impress me Say you got the burning stash to impress me It's all in your head, hoes Ask where the plug at to impress me Ask where the jug at to impress me Ask where it's at only upsets me You sound like the feds on me You ain't gotta lie to kick in my neck You ain't gotta lie, you ain't gotta lie You ain't gotta lie to kick in my neck You ain't gotta try so so if, if you had to tell me your favorite track on the album, Makai, what would it be? Well, you know that I always choose opening tracks whenever we make these kinds of lists because I just love a good opening track. And, and it I is always a just, funky opening track. Come on. Yeah. And you know, I love P-Funk and you know George Clinton's right there and you got Thundercat, right? So I, I do love the opening track a whole lot. Um, ooh, and, I, and I love the, the jazzy interlude that follows it. I think I'm going to go with hood politics. I had a feeling you would just because of the Sufjan. Because the Sufjan sample is there. The beat is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like it just, you know, it, well, it opens still funky. You know, like, so it, it's, 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 I still get the, the funk that I love on Wesley's theory. And then, and then suddenly a Sufjan sample comes in um, and interrupts that. And then a really hard beat comes in while the Sufjan sample plays out. And then by the time you get the Obama say what it do part, and then like a whole other beat is like, like it's so great when you listen to them for the first time and your jaws already dropped. And then twice more in the song, it drops even further down, you know, which you don't get that feeling a lot. Uh, and, and music. Yeah, so I'm going to go with that one. Rob, how about you? Wesley's Theory is is such a great opening track. I'm with you, and it's it's such a funky song. It's hard to say no to that. It's a great opener. It's a great opener for this album. Um, All Right is, is, I mean, a powerful, anthemic song. But you know my love for Parliament. You know my love for James Brown. And there is something so beautiful about the song King Kunta that that's, that's it for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's all of my favorite things in a song. For sure. And well, it picks up right where good kid, mad city leaves off. Right. Mm -hmm. King Kendrick is how he announced himself at the end of good kid, mad city. And then here we are seeing the other side of that uh, with, with King Kunta, you know, so it's that perfect bridge also between like your favorite and what you consider the best. So this, this makes perfect sense. When you hear the next pop, the funk shall be within you. You know, just like the great, I mean, it's just so great, so funky. It can be months, but since the last time I've listened to this album or, or, or this song, I will still walk into a room randomly and, and just, apropos of nothing, just go, what's the yams? <laughs> That's great. It rules. Yeah. That song it's oh man, it's so it's so good. What's the yams? Micaiah you know, it feels 
so far this season, we've talked about I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, arguably Aretha Franklin's best album. We've done Frank Ocean's Blonde, now Kendrick's To Pimp a Butterfly. Other than Arcade Fire, it feels it feels like so far this season, we really haven't done many controversial picks. I mean, th- three of our first four have been pretty well shoe-ins for you know, top hundred albums of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that we've had a lot of debatable picks. So that being said, I, I, I don't know that it's worth this question because it seems so obvious, but Micaiah, is this album worthy of being in our top hundred? I mean, I know we asked this at the end whenever we remember to, but I, th- I feel like we've said this a dozen times since we started the conversation. Yeah, of course. If, if 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 I if I think it's the best or second best or tied for best of the last decade, like of course it's gonna it have to be in the top 100 somewhere. I mean, I think I think when we go to make our top 100, you know, even though it's and um, pretty new still, it it could be a top 50. Dare I say top 25? I mean, I think that this could be ranked pretty high when we go to actually try and make our top 100. I think top 50 probably for sure. I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say when we get to the end of our fourth season of this podcast and we actually have the full 100, the full first 100 to, to actually rank, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that my expectation is this will this will end up a top 20 album and that this will end up the highest ranked album made in the last 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right for us. I believe, I think that will be true. Yeah. Um, And probably the highest ranked hip hop album, even though you and I both really love uh, low in theory. Um, So we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine this, you know, even, even though we're, within our top 100 right this is a this is a top tier within that top 100 album yeah i agree well listener this is an obvious pick for makai and i we hope it's an obvious pick for you if it's not go listen to this album again or maybe go listen to this album for the very first time because we know that you are going to love it so let us know what you think let us know your favorite of the kendrick lamar albums especially this trilogy beginning with good kid mad city to pimp a butterfly in concluding with damn. And we will let you know ways that you can give your two cents reaching out to us on Instagram at you forgot one on Twitter at you forgot one pod. If you love this podcast, do us a favor and whether you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or Google podcast or wherever you, it is, you listen to podcasts, would you rate and review the podcast so that other people can hear about it and find out more about this podcast? But we love the fact that so many of you are listening so faithfully, and we haven't even mentioned this. Let's go ahead and mention this in our conclusion, Micaiah. This week, we celebrated our 30,000th listen to the podcast, which blows our minds. Yes, thank you, listeners. Um, and yeah, please rate and review Uh, because that helps other people find us as well. Um, So thank you, everyone, uh, for 30,000 listens. Much appreciated. We will see you back next week. 
I've been A1 since day one, you niggas boo-boo Your homeboy, your black that you're from, boo-boo Little hoes you went to school with, boo-boo Baby mama and your new bitch, boo-boo We was in the hood, 14 with the deuce-deuce 14 years later going hard like we used to on the dead homies On the dead homies Fuck about no politics and rap, my, my nigga. nigga. My little homie stunner deuce ain't never coming back, my, my nigga. nigga. So you better go hard every time you jump on wax, my, my nigga. nigga. Fuck what they talk about, your shit is where it's at, my, my nigga. nigga. Came in this game, you stuck your fangs in this game. You want no chain in this game, your hood, your name in this game. Now you double up, time to bubble up the bread and huddle up. Stick it to the spritz, now if them Benjamins go cuddle up. Skip, hop, drip, drop, flip, flop with the white tube sock. It goes. What the products smell like when the chemicals mix 50 niggas salute Out the Captain Zoo With the extras Elkos, Monte Carlos Road Kings and Dressers Rip Riders, P-Funkers Mexicans, they fuck with you Asians, they fuck with you Nobody